Moncrief on News Talk. You know, I've learned something over this last year, which is pretty funny. Um, I've learned that real world human to human tactile contact will kill you, and that all human interaction, whether it be social, political, spiritual, sexual, or interpersonal, should be contained in a much more safe, much more real interior digital space that the outside world, the non-digital world, is merely a theatrical space in which one stages and records content for the much more real, much more vital digital space. That's uh, Bo Burnham inside. That's uh, streaming now on Netflix. James Dempsey joins us in the studio for the first time in <laughs> a year or so. <laughs> James, good afternoon. You're very welcome uh, uh, back into the real world, so to speak. Thanks for having me. Start by uh, explaining who is Bo Burnham because he might be in that kind of, oh, he's that guy kind of category. So he's that guy who is the male lead in Promising Young Woman, if anyone saw that. The nice year. one. The nice one. Yeah. And then he also is a stand-up comedian in his own right. He actually began as a YouTuber, like back in the early, very early days of YouTube comedy circa 2006 and became a stand up in his own right from that. And I think in 2015, while touring this set, he started having these huge panic attacks on stage and sort of put aside doing stand up for a while and then went on to write and direct Eighth Grade, which was this very well received kind of indie movie a couple of years ago. And he had been building up, he says in this special, how he'd been building up his sort of mental health regimen to get ready to go back to touring right at the beginning of 2020. (laughs) And then this little pandemic happened and uh, he obviously couldn't. So he had signed a deal with Netflix to create this comedy special for them. And it is his baby. I mean, he is it is it is a one man show. He filmed it. He edited it. He wrote it. He stars in it. No one else appears in it at all. And it all takes place. Is there an audience? No. (laughs) It all takes place inside this one room in uh, like a, a guest bedroom, I think, in his house. Right. And it's a very interesting, funny, odd, peculiar and charming kind of thing. Like what I would really credit it is you the ingenuity that he brings to this just one room and how he manages to film it and light it and play, you know, projections and use different even corners of the room to the fullest effect are very, very interesting to watch. And you would think that I I guess it's because he's a guy who cut his teeth on YouTube, right? He actually knows how to edit a video together. Mm. But this is not like baby's first YouTube video, right? Yeah. Like it is a very slickly edited piece. It's also this very kind of like introspective, ponderous, philosophical musing about the nature of existence and depression and mental health and performance and all of these kinds of things with loads of really, really funny songs. My biggest issue with it is I just don't know if I need this in my life right now. Right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> like I, I, I want to say outright I have no problems with it at all. It's a it's very funny comedy special. The songs are really catchy. I could see myself going like to Spotify or one of those and playing the tracks back because he's a very, very good musician, lyricist, all of those kinds of things. The pop songs are fantastic. It's just we've just I mean, well, come out of the pandemic is not right either, but Mm. we're sort of entering a phase now where it seems things are easing. And certainly if you've been living in this city in the last week, it has felt, you know, in the evening times with warm weather and people walking around this wonderful party atmosphere. And I just don't know if I need to watch an hour and a half of a comedian being maudlin and miserable and commenting on on the pandemic and what it is to be isolated and alone. 
after I did a year and a half of that. that already, you know. Uh, and well, I mean, how, then how is it just the songs that are funny? Or is the rest of the time he's just trying to be all serious? So it is almost entirely songs, I would say. Like, really, this is less of kind of like a comedy special, quote unquote, and more of a one man show. And you could see this, you know, going onto stages and touring various different places with a really, really good lighting rigging because the whole atmosphere and lighting of it is a huge, huge part of it. But it is, it's mostly songs. There's very, very little. What we heard in the clip there, I mean, I'd say in total out of the 90 minutes, there's probably about 15 minutes where he's speaking and the rest is all music all the time. So mm. if you don't like, you know, comedic music, then do not bother at all. <laughs> right. But I will say that the tracks are fantastic. They, you know, he has this, I think the standout one for me was he does this piece called White Woman's Instagram. And even the the aspect ratio of the screen is is reduced to what an Instagram square would be. And it is, you know, him ostensibly at the beginning making fun of, you know, quote unquote, white women's Instagrams of being like wine o'clock and all these kind of very, yeah. very stereotypical things. And then it takes this turn in the last sort of, uh, I guess, verse of the song, which is very heartfelt and, and warm and considerate and not throwing these white women under the bus. What the comedy does extremely well is it is it pokes fun without being mean or caustic at any particular mm. one. But there are a number of excellent songs. He does one about his early career, I think it's called Problematic, where he reflects on his beginnings in YouTube, where he used to, like where he, you know, he's only 30 years old. He actually turns 30 while making this, uh, and that's part of it as well. But um, he talks about his, his, like cutting his teeth on YouTube and how he used to make jokes that were sexist and homophobic and misogynistic and all these kinds of things that up and coming comedians tend to do because, you know, you don't know any better and mm. you're trying to shock. Right. Yeah. And he has a song called Problematic where he reflects on that. And it's really funny. And, and and all of the songs I found really, really, really funny. It's just for me, not enough time has passed. Like, I think if this had come out three months, six months into the pandemic, we, it would have become this lightning rod, like cultural moment of this is all of us. This is our existence. This is everything. And now this is like this was my existence for a while and I'm just a little bit over it and I don't need to engage in the art of the pandemic just yet. Give it like a while for me. Yeah, OK. It just but, but no matter how slickly it's, it's, it sounds like he just shot it in the spare bedroom. <laughs> and there's only so many angles you can get out of that. Really. In fairness, like he does an amazing job of shooting it and and. You know, like I cannot under, uh, I cannot over, I don't know even what the verb I'm looking for is. <laughs> I, I cannot describe well how well he is at sort of uh, figuring out how to use different aspects of lighting to film it all really like, cu- like cunningly. It's just very, very artistic in its own right, despite mm. it just being this white walled room. Yeah, still though, nice, uh, very super cheap one for Netflix mm, then I would have thought. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Really just shot in the one room with a crew of one. Uh, somebody's texting to say it's so funny, regardless of post-pandemic and the 15 minutes of speaking is very funny also. Uh, I, I assume it's not just one block of 15 minutes. No, that's no, split yeah, up into, all split up. Uh, and, and does he sing the songs in the room as well? Or yeah, they... and plays the keyboard, plays the uh, plays the guitar. At one point he does, He you know, he mocks kind of even like web culture quite significantly. He does like a review, like a stream of playing a computer game of himself crying. And at another point, he's doing reaction videos, which then become reaction videos of reaction videos of reaction videos. It, it is, it's very funny. 
and it definitely is is worth the watch. But I guess if you're like me and you're just kind of want a bit of a break from the pandemic, give it a, yeah. give it a year and watch it then. <laughs> right, we'll move on to our second show of the day. It is low key. New episodes are dropping every Wednesday on Disney Plus. Here's a clip. Laufison. Variant L1130, a.k.a. Loki Laufison, is charged with sequence violation 72089. How do you plead? <laughs> Madam, a god doesn't plead. Look, this has been a very enjoyable pantomime, but I'd like to go home now. Are you guilty or not guilty, sir? <sighs> guilty of being the god of mischief, yes. Guilty of finding all this incredibly tedious, yes. Guilty of a crime against the sacred timeline. Absolutely not, you have the wrong person. There you go, uh, that's uh, Loki. Now, um, I suppose the complicated question, where is this in relation to all the films? <laughs> is it afterwards, beforehand, parallel timeline? It's after and parallel, I would say, at the same time, right? Now, <laughs> of course, uh, the thing about this one is, uh, it is... Right, it's the third of these sort of you know post MCU mm. movies pre the next fourth wave, I guess, cinematic wave, and the Disney Plus standalone series. And uh, so far, I think they everyone, most people really liked One Division. I think most people thought Falcon and the Winter Soldier was incredibly boring. Mm, <laughs> and yeah. this uh, falls somewhere in between, but I would say is hopeful. So Loki is. Thor's brother and he is the villain of Avengers 1 mm. and in the finale of Avengers Endgame and this is slight spoilers for people who have not seen that but it's not a massive spoiler and it's all going to get spoiled if you watch the first episode of this anyway uh, Loki escapes with the Tesseract which I'm not even going to touch and falls into a, a different timeline and in that timeline he gets arrested by the TVA, the TVA being the Time Variance Authority or something like that. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he is now a prisoner of this all powerful, omniscient, uh, you know, omnipotent force that can that just wants to maintain the supreme timeline or the sacred timeline or something okay. like that. And into that comes Owen Wilson as uh, Mobius M. Mobius, who is an agent of this, but also Owen Wilson. So talks and does has all the mannerisms that you would expect. Mm. And he essentially manages to uh, recruit Loki to do a kind of, you know, thing where where the authorities have this renegade and they need his help. And we've seen that many, many, many times mm -hmm. before. Now, we haven't really seen it done quite yet in this show because Although I did enjoy the first episode of Six, it was very exposition heavy. It was, you know, it didn't really move the plot on an awful lot. We got an awful lot of flashbacks of who Loki was in sort of in terms of like setting him up and preparing his future missions down the line. But I am hopeful because I thought it was incredibly stylish. Like it looked like this really chic 70s, you know, production value of, you know, oranges and browns. And it, remind, it reminded me a little bit of Actually, a Tom Hiddleston movie called High Rise, which is a, I think, J.M. Ballard or whatever that that writer's J. name. J.M. Ballard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, a movie called High Rise came out a few years ago with Tom Hiddleston. The, the aesthetic of that was very, very similar. All in all, I thought it was a, a promising start. And the thing that I am attracted to this by is that it's written by a guy named Michael Waldron. And he wrote lots of episodes of Rick and Morty, which is a really very funny mm. sci-fi show. And I don't think Disney are going to go full uh, Rick and Morty in uh, in this. 
But I'm interested to see, you know, what, how he's going to toe the line and where it's going to go. Because I suppose with Loki, he was quite droll. So there is, you know, at least an opportunity to not be completely po-faced as Definitely. some of these things suffer from. And, and so the only things that we do know are that Richard E. Grant is in an unspecified role in five of the episodes. The rumour mill is that he's going to play an older vo- version of Loki. And there's a British actress named, um, I think, Stephanie DiMarco. And she is rumoured to be playing Lady Loki because, you know, th- th- they're taking the whole Marvel gamut. And, and Loki is this shape-shifting, changeling god of mischief. So he can be anything he wants to be at any time. So, look, I I, I, I think mm. it's hopeful. <laughs> OK. And I see Owen uh, Wilson gets got, got himself a gig, finally. Uh, right, our third show today we're talking about is Time. That's running on... Sundays at 9pm on BBC One. Here's a clip. Here's your pin codes. Thanks, boss. So, you get a two-minute phone call. Thanks. Oh, shit. I forgot the number. I left it on the phone. Who are you going to phone? Parents. You could paper stamps an envelope tomorrow. You can write to them. Unless there's another number, you know. The wife. Up to you, mate. It's me. I got four years. There you go. That's uh, Sean Bean bringing his parents. Would they still be alive? <laughs> Fair question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be mean, but you know, older his parents. Mother of God, right? So uh, Sean Bean being very Sean Beany there. Yes and no. I would say uh, it's something of a departure for him because he's not this tough as, you know, tough as nails, tough as old boots, mm. hard man. He's this very sad sack English teacher uh, in the UK who goes to prison for four years after he's involved in a drunk driving incident. And he is an absolute fish out of water in the prison system. And basically it's about him navigating his way through his four years, four year sentence. And it's only three episodes in total. We've seen two. The last one is next Sunday. Uh, and the other sort of part of the storyline involves Stephen Graham, who plays Eric McMally, who's like the prison screw. He's he's the prison guard and he is the by the book, does everything absolutely right prison guard, but who has a weakness uh, because we find out right at the beginning of the f- first episode that his own son is in prison and the other prisoners have found where his other where his son is in prison Whoa, yeah. and they are threatening his life if this by the book prison guard doesn't uh, you know do stuff for them and it's written by Jimmy McGovern of Cracker fame Ooh, yeah. and I will say what I thought was excellent about this was it has a number of kind of soapy well prison co- soapy qualities right this idea of like you know manipulating the prison guard for example into going against his morals for the protection of his own son but the performances are so universally excellent that it just elevates every single part of it and it's 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 quite like you know it's very interesting it's very fair it's very at times it has these pockets of violence that sort of come out of nowhere that are like jaw dropping at times but I also thought it was punctuated by these moments where every character got to do something. You know, every mm. character fulfilled a purpose or every character was a realised human being with a sad story. But that didn't necessarily mean that they were forgiven. Right. Like take, for example, Sean Bean. He's done this terrible thing that is immediate and he never uh, he never sort of looks kind of for forgiveness. He's he's honest and upfront. And he's haunted literally sometimes by these demons of what he's done. 
And really, it was, it, you know, these were, it was three hours of television that I would recommend everybody seek out because it was fantastic. Sounds great. James, thanks a million. Lovely to see you <laughs> in person after all these time. James Dempsey, there you are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We'll take a break. Back in a couple of minutes. Moncrief on News Talk.